As Christians, we know that Jesus is good news, and we want to share his love with others. In the past, we'd simply invite a friend to church and let the sermon do the work. However, times are changing, and we're learning that church invitations might not be enough anymore. Today, Jesus is using his people to invite others into their homes and ultimately their lives. And by others, we mean seekers, saints, and sinners, all of the people who make up the body of Christ. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see all of you here in the auditorium and Good to have you uh, on podcast joining us. Can't see you, but I know you're there, so it's a bl- blessing to, to have you as part of this uh, service here. Um, I'm Greg Boyd. I'm teaching pastor here if you're visiting, and really glad that you're here being a part of this. Uh, let's start with just a little bit of review. We're in this series that we're starting here on missional living, uh, ripping off Bruxy Cavie's subtitle for his book, Sinners, Saints, and Seekers, or something like that. I can never get the order right. Uh, maybe by the end of the series, I'll have it down. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, before the pandemic, pre-pandemic, uh, the way most bigger churches did church was, as I mentioned last week, uh, was an attractional model of the church. The, the goal was kind of to attract people to come to your building. And uh, if you were successful, well, success meant that you had, you had a lot of people going to your building on a regular basis. That's, and that, that, that's success. And God used that and brought a lot of people to Christ through it. Uh, it has some advantages, but also has a lot of disadvantages, as I mentioned last week. And if you didn't hear the message last week. I encourage you to, to go back and listen to that. It's a pretty foundational kind of a thing. Um, so with, with, with the pandemic and with live streaming now, everything has changed. Uh, on average, about two-thirds of regular tenders are not returning to church. And while that may change as uh, the pandemic eases up, if it ever eases up, uh, well, I, hopefully that will change, but some. But, but most agree that, that something permanent has happened here with live streaming. Uh, people are just choosing to stay at home and, um, and participate that way. And we bless that. This can, as I mentioned last week, be something that's a real blessing to the church. It could be even transformational, but it could also be disastrous. Uh, it will be disastrous if the only takeaway from live streaming, this new situation, this new reality we find ourselves in, if the only takeaway is that our lives got a little more convenient, it takes even less commitment to follow Christ, we flex our missional muscle even less. If that's all we, that comes as a result of this, it will be disastrous. Uh, we're heading towards Wally Church. As I mentioned last week, if you don't know what that means, go check it out. Uh, but it would be disastrous. On the other hand, if this new situation, the fact that, that the attractional model is just uh, on its way out, um, if that results in our realizing that that never was the goal of church anyways, if, if, if it helps us realize that church isn't someplace we go to, but it's something we are, we're to be the church. If that results, well, that could be transformational. If it results in empowering people to actually walk into their, your identity as ambassadors of Christ, as, as the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, as, as sent one, as people who are on a mission, well, that would be just transformational. And the attractional church never was that good at empowering people to be that. So we're in a situation now where we've got to be that. In, in the pandemic that is afflicting this planet, not the, the COVID pandemic, but the spiritual pandemic, uh, there are principalities and powers that, that, that corrupt this creation. And in this pandemic that this world is under, we are God's front line. That's God's design for the church. We're the front line workers. And we're to be going into it. We're, 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 the goal was never to attract people to church. 
the goal was for the church to go out there and be among the people. Uh, Jesus didn't, in his last words, say, hey, go and invite all the worlds to come to you. He said, you go out into the world. And so we're sent ones. We're to be living intentionally. We're to be living uh, uh, with a missional mindset. And this is the time for us to step into that. And so we want to be asking the question now. What does it look like for us to follow the Spirit in whatever context you find yourself in? What does it look like for us to be bringing the kingdom to every, every social network we're a part of, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, um, to our book club or bike club or whatever, whatever social network you're a part of, what does it mean, this is the time for us to be seeking this, to be following the Spirit and bringing the kingdom in a loving way into each and one of those kind of contexts. So we thought this morning it'd be good to start with the family. Start with the family. And uh, how, do, how, how do we bring the kingdom into our families? How do we make our families kingdom families? He's moving in that direction. And when I say family, I don't want you to just be thinking about husband and wife and two children, uh, Ozzie Harriet. Uh, family is whoever you are sharing life intimately with, whoever you consider family, whether it's biological family, spiritual family, friendship family, whatever. Uh, that's what I mean by family. How do we bring the kingdom into that? I want to entitle this a message, um, Blessed Rituals. And I, I did that because ritual, we don't talk about rituals much here at Woodland Hills Church, do we? Like, I don't think I've ever, ever talked about rituals. Um, among Protestants, it's sometimes uh, almost a bad word. Oh, it's ritualistic. We use it kind of in a negative sense. Um, and, and I thought about calling this blessed practices. But it loses something in translation. Uh, uh, practice, ritual has more gravitas to it. So I'm going to recover that word. What do you say? Protestants, you ready to recover the word ritual? It's a good word. It's, it's got a sacredness to it. So we're going to talk about blessed rituals that uh, families can be involved in. And um, to that end, I want to read this passage. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Lord, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when, when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. Uh, this is when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? His response was to quote this verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So this is a pretty important passage. And here the author spells out what, it, what, what does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Well, what it looks like is this. You keep the word of God in your heart. Keep the truth of God, about who God is and what God has done in your heart. But don't just keep it in your heart. Speak it. Recite it. In fact, recite it all the time. Be talking about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the truth of God and, and what God requires of us. And be talking about it in your family, when you're at home, and be talking about it in your family when you're on the road, when you're traveling, and be talking about it in the morning, and be talking about it at night, and put reminders all over the place. Bind it on your hand, put it on your forehead, put it on the door, put it on the, the gates. Surround yourself with reminders about who God is and what God's up to and what our call is, and remember who you are. And be saying that to your children. And so what, what, what he's saying is this. Integrate the truth about who God is and, and, and God's instruction. Integrate that into your family. Make it part of your ordinary life. Make talking about God natural 
in your family environment. Saturate your family with the truth about who God is. Make it natural. So we're going to talk about how to do that. How do we go about doing that? And we are blessed to have, as a member of our congregation, this has come aboard the last year or so, uh, Bill Doherty. You might recognize that name because I mentioned him last week. He's a family therapist, a professor of family therapy at the University of Minnesota. And he wrote a book in 2000 uh, called Intentional Families. Is that what it was called? The, the Intentional Family. Uh, I can't read that. It's a... Uh, What's the subtitle, Bill? He can't read it either. <laughs> uh, simple rituals uh, to strengthen family ties. Yes, yeah, the importance of bringing rituals into families. And so I'm entitling this Blessed Ritual. Now, you, uh, you may have, if you were here last week, if you're tuning in last week, um, remember that I mentioned that Bill is the co-founder of this organization called Braver Angels. And this organization was created uh, for the purpose of trying to help depolarize America. Anyone here think we need that? You better believe we do. Uh, and, and so they bring conservatives and liberals together and help them, you know, have, they host workshops and dialogues to help people understand one another, be able to discuss hot topics in a calm, rational way. Um, I encourage you to check them out because they, they, they host these debates that are just so interesting. They pe take people from opposite sides of the political spectrum and they come together and, and they try to understand one another. It's really it's a beautiful ministry. Recently, uh, Bill and Braver Angels was invited to uh, give a testimony, uh, to talk to uh, this congressional committee that is uh, all about bringing civility back into government, because they realize that our government is so polarized, it's gridlocked. And so I, I wanted to start by just showing you a little clip of Bill testifying uh, before Congress. Watch this. So my point is that when they were able to articulate both what they love and also what their concerns are, the humility, there was a powerful connection. There was a we that formed there. I hope you heard that from them. That's what I observed. I sure did. And I, but I, like I said, I think stronger coming from you than, than from me. I, I, but I just want to reinforce that because having seen the effect that this had on our staffs, uh, recognizing how we could... Uh, embed that into the culture here uh, is really powerful stuff. And we all know we, we can't work with people we don't trust, and we can't trust people we don't know. Uh, and sadly, this institution uh, very much focuses on separation on day one. It really does. All right. Give it up for Bill Doherty. <laughs> I'm just getting to know Bill. He's been a, become a really dear friend. Brother, I appreciate you being part of this. Before Just we... don't ask me to remember the subtitle of my book <laughs> in public, okay? I, like, well, I, I, I wrote it two decades ago. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah it's a... Okay, just... Some great just, memories. Is very don't, don't start me off that way. All right, all right. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. Whatever the book was, he's written a couple of books and a lot of articles on family and things like that. Before we get into family, I tell us a little bit of what was that like, uh, Speaking of Congress. Yeah, so. it was the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, and they decided to tackle polarization. And so I did my thing, and some other experts did their thing. But the biggest thing that happened was they actually, the members of Congress had their chairs in a circle, like they never do that. They could actually see each other. Usually mm. they see the backs of each other's heads. And, and they, they took off from this, and they talked about how difficult it is to function in a, in a place where everybody is at odds, mm. um, 
uh, there were mayors there who said, when I was a mayor, I used to be able to get stuff done. I can't get anything done. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and so it became like a little encounter group. It was really quite fascinating, and they want to follow up on this. So good. Let's hope. Um, so they, they realize that the, that they are in need of some yeah some therapy, some healing. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you propose to? I mean, it, from where I'm sitting, that seems like a pretty formidable challenge. Uh, you know, be easier to bring peace in the Middle East than to bring it to the House and Senate, maybe. But. Uh, um, what did you propose to start to remedy this? Well, a couple of things. One is in Brave Angels, we have a one-to-one -one conversation process where people come together for two structured one-hour conversations, you know, in person or online, uh, where they get to know each other beyond stereotypes to find some common ground. Right, right. And we have proposed that they do that. Uh, and then for the staff members, that they come together in workshops, and we've already done one of those. Uh, on Thursday night this week, I'm bringing together two members of Congress, a Republican, Democrat, and a small group of constituents. So we're, we're starting. Wow, that's great. Uh, amen, amen. That, that's, that's fantastic. See, if there's hope for America, and I have my days where I doubt it, but if there's hope, it's going to be something like this, where if you can get leadership to start getting along, start modeling civility, maybe then things can, can start to turn around. Uh, so you're part of Woodland Hills, and, and so you're an extension of us. Um, how can we pray uh, for you and for Braver Angels? So pray for Thursday night <laughs> that this Republican congressman from South Dakota, Dusty Johnson, and the Democratic from Minnesota, Dean Phillips, can come together with a small group of constituents who are chosen because they represent very conservative, moderate conservative, moderate liberal, very liberal, and to see if we can, they can connect with each other and connect with their constituents. So pray for Thursday night at 6.30. <laughs> and pray for me on this, because I'm, I'm nervous. Sure. I've not done this before. Oh, okay. And so this, this is, is new. You're, you're always trying new things. If you don't mind, I'd like to stop right now and pray for you. Oh, thank can you. we all just join together? Uh, and if you want to extend your hand towards Bill and pod listeners, you can just stand towards the, the television here. And I just want to, where you're going, we're going, so we're behind you. Lord, I thank you for this uh, peacemaker, uh, what you put on his heart and put on his mind and, and how you're using him. Uh, and uh, God, we pray that your spirit would follow him. And that Thursday night at 6.30, that, that, that room would just be surrounded by your love. It would be an, an unusual atmosphere. Let it surprise everybody. And, and Lord, use this to start tearing down walls and start building bridges and helping people to understand one another. Uh, thank you for the, this ministry that you've given to, to Bill and to Braver Angels. Um, and we just want to keep them covered in prayer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, 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 wow. amen. amen. Ooh, I don't know if I can go on after that. Thank you all. Wow. Okay. Uh, no, we, 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 you're part of us, man. Uh, what do you think is, uh, let's turn to the family issue now. What are some of the kind of unique challenges that families, however you define that, uh, that they're facing today that are kind of unique for our time? Well, think about the busyness that we all are involved in. Even, you know, it's, it's tamped down a bit during the pandemic, but we live in a world of, uh, of, of distraction, of busyness. Um, some of us grew up in an era when there was one television, actually some people grew up before television, one television in the living room, oh, yeah. right? And then we went to televisions in everybody's rooms, and now we have our iPhones and, and computers in everybody's rooms. Yeah. Uh, so we are more distracted in the home. We are busier outside of the home. Um, we have so many stimuli 
that it's really hard to, uh, to be a mindful, intentional family. Mm. That's one of the big factors. I, I like that, your, your phrase, intentional family. Like, let's do this on purpose. So often we, we, we sort of assume family's family, and we're intentional about a million other things. Right. But are we intentional about our own family life, our, our closest friends, and yeah. uh, strengthening that? Well, and then parents, we live in an era when there's pressure on parents to make sure that kids get every opportunity. Yeah. Okay. And so the family, as a family, can lose its focus because we are taking kids everywhere for their own individual enrichment, which is good. But uh, we know that family meals, for example, are more important for kids' development than their sports activities or other things. But, so we give away the family part uh, for the sake of the individuals in the family. Wow. Write that one down. Uh, that, 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 that's... In the name of doing good to your family, you can actually kind of erode the family because you lose that togetherness. Yeah. I'd like to think of an analogy of starting a family as like putting a canoe into the Mississippi River, you know, it's St. Paul. And if you don't paddle, the current pulls you south. And so the, the currents in our modern world are to pull families into distraction mm. and disconnection. Man. Unless we are mindful and intentional about resisting those. That is so... Yeah, you know, you mentioned the television. When, when I grew up, we had one black and white television until about 69 or so, and then we got a color television. Uh, but um, it, it wasn't just that you watched shows together, but you also had to learn navigational skills. You know, we, we have to compromise. Okay, yeah. now it's Greg's turn to watch his show. And now, and, you know, you have to work around that. And that's good skills. You know, you're building mm -hmm. relational skills. Yeah. Where now it's just, yeah, there's no conflict, but we're all kind of going in our own little places and get uh, also isolated. So you wrote this book on rituals that strengthen family ties. Um, how would you define ritual? Well, uh, the, the uh, academics uh, began to look at ritual in the later 19th century, anthropologists, and they define them as... <laughs> Excuse are, me, sorry. Are, are you still with me? I, I just baptized yeah. my Bible. So... <laughs> That's the second time I've done that today. Okay, so this is true. Look at this. this I, I, I'm very professional here, all right? Just, uh, but... Um, <laughs> so Mary has me wearing the shield. You had to wear one too because yeah. the masks screw up our, our, our microphones. And I went to, I forgot I had it on. I went to drink. <laughs> I got water everywhere. So, well, I went to a, <clears throat> Greg, you're making me look good. What I, you know? <clears throat> uh, a, I knew I could count on you. So the question was, Bill, yes. what is a ritual? <laughs> what, what is a ritual? <clears throat> and uh, you, you, you. The name of the Father, Son, Spirit. You, you. <laughs> You screwing up is part of the ritual of Woodland Hill. <laughs> you gotta say none to that. It's part of our norm. It's, it's, it's it, what makes me endearing. human. We know you do it on purpose just to humanize yourself. That's right. That's I, I have to bring right. myself down because otherwise. Right. That's right. That's why I do it. That was intentional. So, so, All uh, part of the plan. Where were we? Ritual. Ritual. <laughs> See, when you did that, you just distracted again. Okay. I'm a pro, pro at that, pro. ADD. Okay, so anyway, so the anthropologist began to study rituals in the early 20th century, said three characteristics. One, it's something you do with other people that is repeated. In other words, you, you, you have to do it over and over. It could be every day, like a meal. It could be once a year, like a vacation. It has to be repeated. Second is coordinated. You know what you're doing. You're not just sort of making it up as you go. So repeated, coordinated. And the last one is significant. It has emotional meaning, okay? Mm. So I like to think in families, when I grew up, there were, you know, there were five kids, two parents, one bathroom. 
Uh -huh. Okay, so we had what I call a routine in the morning about you had your time in the bathroom, nobody showered or anything like that. You just got in and out. <laughs> Back in those days, no showered. Blah, 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 right. Uh, that was Saturday night, thank you. Um, uh, so we, we, it was repeated, it was coordinated, but I don't get misty-eyed thinking about that no, I don't growing so. up, okay? Whereas we had dinner every night at 6 o'clock, and uh, you know, we gathered around the table and, and had, you know, had food and nurturing, and, and, um, and that's where uh, uh, my father you know, would become the Irish storyteller, okay? And I would hear all these great stories, and I learned along the way that the way to get some airtime was to tell stories. So it, we created the family culture. Now, sometimes we argued and so on, but that, has, that was a ritual. Hmm. We did it every day. We knew what we were doing. We knew who, you know, set the table, yeah, yeah. cleaned up, and then it had emotional meaning. That's a that's a ritual. Good, perfect. Um, now you, you've done a lot of research on this, uh, yeah. and and can you share a little bit of both from either your life or your research why rituals are so important? Yeah, well, what they give us a connection, predictable connection, predictable. predictable. Connection. So because. Um, if you don't have a time when you come together, uh, so think about a church service, or even if people are at home online, it, it's, it's like you look forward to, you know what's gonna happen. It isn't, you, you don't have to look at the newsletter to see what day in the week we're gonna do service, okay? Mm -hmm. So it gives a predictable time for connection, and it's a way to enact values. It's a way to say, this is who we are. This is what we come together for. Mm. And so one of the ways I like to think about, by the time a kid is a teenager, they can finish this sentence. I come from the kind of family who, dot, dot, dot. Mm. Okay? Uh, and it may be, I come from the kind of family we go camping together. I come from the, the, the kind of family we all like music together, or we, we do trips to the grandparents together. We, so, and the identity when there. you look at those, they, most of those things fit this idea of a ritual. Predictable, we know what we're doing, and it has meaning. And um, what's the research on that in terms of like how it impacts kids? Yeah, and the research is very clear. That, that this is, these are some of the most important things you can do for your children, and I want to emphasize that the meal, a lot of the research has been on family meals, um, and, uh, and those have the opportunity for, uh, for conversation, so you were talking earlier about conversation, mm -hmm. those have the opportunity for connection with uh, everybody present or as many people who can, and I want to add something here just for folks, it doesn't mean you have to have dinner every, you know, seven nights a week. I mean, there, there's no rule, rigid rules here, okay? Right, right. But if you don't come together and break bread together, ever, you lose that opportunity. And the research shows that that's a, that's a very powerful thing for children. I want to mention about Congress, one of the things that came up in that, that committee was uh, they said, we never break bread together across the political aisle. Mm. They, don't, they, they never have a meal together. And in fact, they are so darn busy, they don't even have meals with one another in their own party. They're going through lunch and they're grabbing food. Well, uh, I think this is the kind of thing that erodes the sense of connection and community, right. even in things like Congress. Yeah, sure. I, I, if you're never getting to know the person, then they're, you just see them in terms of their political ideology. You are this, yeah. and uh, you don't humanize them. So maybe through Bravery Angels, you'll institute a... a uh, Weekly dinner for 
congressman to... Well, on Thursday night, we're going to begin with pizza. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I can see you. Uh, pizza will save America. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's great. So that, that formation, you're saying, uh, having these kind of predictable routines where you have carved out space, this is part of who you are, and you share these values, um, that is more important for raising children than... Taking them to piano lessons, wrestling, yeah. whatever, you know, right, hundred other right. things. Very clear on that. Not that those are not good things. No, they're great things. They're, they're great things. But that's what we celebrate. So parenting becomes a form of product development, mm -hmm. okay? Preparing kids to compete in the world. So you talked about the church, the attractional church. It becomes like the, uh, oh, more water for you. Oh, thank you. See? Now, that just plays into his Boom. hands on this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You just got baptized again. I know. Wow. Uh, wow. I know. Wow. Thank you, Mary. Yeah. Where, where, where was I? Uh, well, you're talking about the importance of, of, of a ritual. I know. That's and, the whole topic. Where and, was I specifically, Greg? This is what you, what you get when you have two seniors up in this you're, you're, <laughs> well, What was your name again? You're the interviewer. You're supposed to help me here. I just got him. But that's your job. Jeez. Uh, that's uh, great. Where, where were we? Does anybody no, remember? Yeah, Thursday night pizza. You mentioned about well, that was about three minutes ago. And they were stuck save on America. pizza, right? Yeah. <laughs> the child development of kids. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so uh, you were. Oh, thank you all. This is a group thing here. Um, so you were talking about the attractional church. See, my view is that the consumer culture is a powerful force undermining. Uh, religious communities and families. Consumer culture is that it's about me. Right. Okay, so I want this family to be about this child, that child. My job is to, is to enrich them, mm -hmm. not to expect them to be giving back or to be citizens of the family. Mm. And so how in the world would I say the sort of thing that, that my, my wife and I did when our kids were growing up in the, er, you know, the dark ages, the 80s, uh, they did activities. But our family meals were important to us. And when they wanted to add, remember our son wanted to add another sport that would just start to interfere multiple evenings with family meal, we said, no, you know, we're going we're gonna to do our family meals. Mm -hmm. It was easier to do it in that era than now. But now, an average parent would say, no, we, we need to sacrifice for the child. We can't expect them to in any way sacrifice for the family. Mm. So maybe we could even turn down traveling soccer so we can do some things on weekends like visit grandparents. Wow. Uh, so, so the point is that if the church is in the business of, of providing consumer services um, and not calling people to give back to the community and the world, yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Wow. The kingdom's all, I have always taught that the kingdom starts with our first drop of blood. The kingdom is all about self-sacrifice. Uh, it's based on the cross. And um, how would you, you know, teach your kids to be self-sacrificial kingdom people if you're never requiring them to sacrifice anything? So you're saying that it's important to have a, this buy-in where you give up some things so that we can be a we. Yes. We can have identity. And carve out this kind of time. And... Um, Cultivate that practice. So why do you think that that is particularly important like for, for kingdom families, for families of Jesus followers, to have these rituals? Well, if, if the idea would be that people would do rituals, you know, like 
like a, a blessing with a meal, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, a blessing um, where we are together reminding ourselves of, of the Lord at this particular moment, uh, and then perhaps extended into the meal conversation in some way. The other, my other favorite one for parents of little kids is a bedtime. Mm. Is a bedtime ritual. So in another church community I, I was in for some time, I worked with a group of parents to develop a meal ritual uh, and a bedtime ritual that the parents worked on and piloted and perfected and then trained other parents to do. So there's an advantage of not viewing religious rituals as simply a, an enrichment activity for an individual family. <clears throat> you know, like, okay, Woodland Hills <clears throat> has these cool rituals, so among other things, you could take advantage of those. As opposed to the idea that we as a community have some rituals that many of us do at home, mm. as well as we have this here. Think about, for Jewish people, the power of the Friday Shabbat meal is knowing there's lots of other Jewish families doing this. It's, it becomes a we. It mm. becomes a we. Yeah. Like the Seder it, it, it ritual, for example. Mm. It, it, so there's power in the we in the family. There's power in the we in community that we, larger we, are wow. doing this together. Right. By the way, it's a lot easier to get kids to keep doing it when they know that lots of other families are doing it too, sure. as opposed to my weird family. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's something I think that, that the leadership of Woodland Hills Church needs to explore a little bit. Like, what are some practices that we could do together? And we all know that, you know, we are the body of people who do this. And we are a family. And, and we have these kind of practices in common. That's something we need to explore a little more. But how, how would you recommend people get started uh, if, if there's never been like a routine, a family that's always on the go, you know, fast food driving, and a lot of our families are like that now. It's, it's, they're always traveling. Can you use some recommendations on how to start? Uh, really, a simple way is to start with a, a, a meal ritual, a prayer at meal if you're not doing that, or if you are doing it, enrich it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give some examples. So the, the best way to start with rituals and religious rituals is the stuff you're already doing and augment it. Augment. Uh, uh, augment it. Okay. So when you were talking about earlier about, you know, talk about God and talk about Jesus, the problem with that, if I could, you know, offer the, the, the problem with that is, well, when do you do the driving somewhere and you just start to talk about Jesus? You know, your kid's going to think you're weird, right? No. Uh, ritual gives you the space where that's appropriate. So if you did a blessing and then let's say at a meal uh, or a bedtime, and the, and the, the question was, um, how has, how has um, um, what have I seen in my life today that reminded me of, of the kingdom or Jesus or something? You know, so you have to have a question. Sure. And then it's like, okay, everybody gets a chance to say something on that. It's just not me as a parent, all of a sudden the kid's trying to eat their beans and me saying, so did Jesus do anything for you today, kid? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, because that would not be a ritual. Okay. It wouldn't be like coordinated. It wouldn't be we do this. Okay. So, so I know some families that have that begin their meal. And this is at my other church. We actually created this together. We had a, a, a little, they would light a candle. People would hold hands. They would do a blessing. 
And then during the meal, everyone, if they wanted to, would have a chance to share a joy and a sorrow oh. of, from their day. And then at the end of the meal, there was just a tiny little prayer to finish up. Mm -hmm. That would be the combination of a religious ritual and the kind of human ritual with some little prayer and a little sharing. Yeah. I, 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 yeah and that sharing piece, I think, would be the important part. I mean, that, yeah. that's where you each bring something to the table. And it's not yeah. just something that's done for you. It's something that you participate in. Right. Uh, and, and, and so the question might be, what are your sorrows or what are your joys or what other things might you talk about? Just like where you've seen God show up or? Right, exactly. So here's my, my dream, okay, uh, is that there would be a way here at Woodland Hills that a group of families could get together and figure out what would fit the culture of Woodland Hills hmm. and what would fit you know, like Woodland does so much about the kingdom, for example. Well, it'd be really interesting to figure out a kingdom-oriented question that everybody could participate in. The other thing I want to say about ritual is it levels people. When we're all participating in it together, you lose the distinction between the parents and the kids. Everybody shares. Mm -hmm. It's not a teaching opportunity for parents. Yeah. So, so again, okay. in my other church, we developed a bedtime ritual where Parents and kids both shared something equally. Mm -hmm. Not the parent is like, okay, you tell me about right, right. your day or something. It's like, no, I share, you sure. share. Ritual flattens the hierarchy temporarily, which is, and the other thing I would say is that little kids love this stuff. Yeah. They are, little kids are natural ritualists. They will remind you to do this. When they get to be teenagers, it's a little harder. So uh, on that, I, I imagine... Uh, some families listening here who have teenagers um, are thinking, I mean, how, how would you bring them on board with this? Uh, that means they got to put down the cell phone. That means they don't get to go over, you know, it's yeah. going to require something of them. Yeah, well, the first thing, let's just take a meal because you're not going to do bedtime. They're going to tuck you in bed. Uh, <laughs> the teenagers, yeah. Um, but your 17 year old But bed, if I'm you sure do come together, um, and I, I, oh, can I plug my book? People could read my Please book. Please do. Because the last chapter is on this. the last chapter of Why the Invisible Family. Why would I talk about it now and lose, uh, anyway. Bottom line, uh, cha-ching. Okay. <laughs> um, but you can, you could do something like, you know, they mentioned some idea at church, and I, tonight I'd like to try it. Are you okay with me on that? Like an experiment. Okay. Okay. How did it go? Do you want to try it again? Okay. Now, but sometimes you can just sort of make something, start something. Uh, and then make it go. I know a family, they live in Northfield, who around a family dinner and a family dinner ritual, they had two teenage girls, and the parents just, the parents decided, we're gonna start being, we're gonna start having meals more often, and we're gonna do a little ritual with them, and we, we'd like you to cooperate, but they didn't, they didn't give the kids an evaluation form after every meal. They just said, we're gonna start doing this, and then the kids groused and groused, and they finally came around and they liked it. Hmm. But if you take a consumer approach to raising children, you're going to say, well, they didn't like it. Hmm. So we're not going to do it. Well, what about leadership? Yeah. What about leadership? Because this is parental leadership. Wow. But I, but I want to say, say <clears throat> this is best done in community. Uh, I'm, uh, so somebody here, you know, um, uh, and, and if they're in a, say, a two-parent family and their spouse isn't listening to all this, you're going to get in big trouble if you take this message and say, we're going to start being an intentional family. By golly. Marcus, I we go. need to be doing that. There's going to be changes around here, folks. <laughs> There's a new boss <clears throat> done. 
This is a way to get one big rebellion. Yes. And then, and then, and then it hurts the sales of my books big time. <laughs> bottom line is always bottom yeah. line. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's been a bestseller for the last 22 years. <laughs> oh, great. Academic books usually are. Greg. <laughs> um, you, in your book, and this is one of the things that intrigued me about you, this back in 2000, you were talking about covenants. Yeah. You say something about the importance of covenants yeah. for family and, and even for friendships. Yeah. 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 So this, this is, again, I think that we talk about covenant, us and God, the church and God and so on. But a family, a, a marriage, uh, these are, I think, can be seen as covenantal relationships where there are, and I think of a covenant, there are some core values that hold us together and some promises, some promises that we make to each other that hold us together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that's another thing, again, in our, in our prior church, we developed a family covenant ritual process where families, parents and kids, come together to two-hour sessions and create a one-page document. This is what's important to us. This is what we believe together. Yeah. This is how we want to enact those beliefs in our family. And, and here's what we promise our, each other this year. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is that everybody has to agree on every word. Okay. Everybody agrees on every word. Uh, and then you look at it again in a year. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful process of, of coming together and saying, who are we? What do we believe? What, how do we want to enact those? And what do we promise? Mm each other. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, one, of the, one of the negatives about a traditional church is I think it, you know, we live in a society where we're kind of continually looking to the professionals. The professionals will do it. Yeah. And it's easy for folks to start thinking about the church that way. And so you bring your child to ch- ch- church so they get their religious training. Right. And you think that that's going to change your child or that's, that's sufficient. Uh, you kind of check the box. Okay, they got the religious education. But, um, I mean, all the studies I've ever looked at have something that, that faith is something that has to be caught before it can be taught. I mean, we, we need to teach it, but it's something that it, 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 it's osmosis. Yeah, and that's where that Deuteronomy passage is so important. Saturate your, your relationships with the kingdom so that it's, it, you're talking about it. It's part of your life because that's how it gets absorbed into your kids. And that doesn't happen one hour a week on a Sunday. No. That's right. Uh, it, it, uh, it can't. So here's where, now that the attractional church has been lessened, this is a great time to start like, empowering families. You, you're the front lines for your kids, and you're the front lines for your friendships. And, and so that, that idea of covenant, I think, is so crucial. Because we almost lost that completely today. We, we have marriage, and that's about the only covenant that we, we still have. But just to have an understanding, an expectation, so you don't leave it to chance. And... Uh, but it seems to me that, that this, you know, it, it can be a little small start. You got to start with baby steps. But, man, that's so important to get that start going uh, and, and get some momentum uh, going on that. Um, I would think also that this is the kind of thing where people need to uh, really be seeking the spirit to particularize it. I mean, because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Fit all. And so what I'm thinking of, I have a son with special needs. And what we found was uh, the family worked best when we had it kind of two versions of the family and, and mm-hmm. two different kind of rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had meals together with our son and sometimes without him because sometimes he, he couldn't do both. 
Um, and so I, I just give people permission to like experiment, uh, follow the spirit, be creative. Uh, if you have children, ask the kids to get involved in this. How, what kind of ideas do they have? Um, and yeah, make it a, you know, a, a family thing from the very start. Uh, I think it would be beautiful. The other thing I'm thinking I'd like to say is that uh, if you're here and you're my age, um, and you've done your parenting, you know, and now you're moving on, um, probably all of us have this to some degree, but you look back and you think, gosh, I wish I would have known that then. You know, I, right, amen? It's like, uh, so often I'd like to, can I get a redo? I wish I had discovered the kingdom when I was 15, because you could live into it. It's so hard to retrofit everything. Um, and, and I would just say, give yourself a grace. Uh, receive God's forgiveness for whatever failings you had. You didn't cultivate that. Don't let the enemy jump on your back and do the blame game on you that, you know, if you have a child that's walked away or something, that's, that is your fault. There's no regrets in the kingdom. Uh, we look at the past to learn from the past and uh, to be forgiven from the past and then move on to the future. But I don't want anyone to come away from this thinking they got to beat themselves up because they didn't have a yeah, intentional so family. In, in the no shame, no guilt uh, yeah. philosophy. I also want to say, just think about friendship rituals. So I, I have a friend, Patrick. Um, we have had monthly lunch together for over 30 years. Now, how do we, what's the, what's the little practice that makes that work? At the end of each lunch, we get at our calendars and we book the next one. Yeah. That's the predictability. And we have gone through the deaths of parents together and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of, yeah, yeah. of joys and sorrows. Um, in part because we book the next one. Mm -hmm. And then we, we're faithful to it, yeah. okay? So there's a way to think about it, all kinds of relationships in our lives, a building in some predictability, some coordination, some way we, we have a more guaranteed connection. And then if you share the same faith tradition, you can add something to that. Yeah, good. So I would encourage all of us, Wherever you are, whatever your family is, family of friendships, or biological family, be thinking about how you could initiate this. If there aren't carved out spaces, if you don't have those predictable, significant, not routines, but rituals, um, how, how might you start that? Just be thinking about that. Talk to your family about that. Can we carve out some time that is ours? And uh, then inviting the kingdom into that. Um, and then as we move into the future, you just elected yourself to be heading up the committee that will be looking at ways that uh, Will and Hills can share rituals together. Is Give it, it up for Bill. Thank you yeah, for volunteering. It's, 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 <laughs> that was great. It, it's time for you to spill your drink again. <laughs> this is your dream, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah no, I, I, uh, because one of the problems in family life, you asked me at the beginning, I talked about busyness, is, is isolation. But the other one is we, we live in our, how, you know, p people throughout history didn't live in a house with a vestibule with a community cut off. They spent most of the time out in yeah. community. And, uh, and so how to create community family rituals. So when we, when in my former you know, church, when we did these family covenant workshops, it was with, with multiple families, mm. multiple families. And then each family would go off into its own room and create its value statement and then come back and share them. And then people go, oh, yeah, what you just said, that's part of our family oh. that we didn't really articulate. So open windows to one another's families is really important. And then I want to say one other thing because we've had some fun here today. Wow, and doing a family covenant workshops with lots of families, 
About three-fourths of them mention humor as one of their values in the family. Oh. And then they said, it's not enough part of our religion. Ah. Here it is, because, <laughs> but uh, not always intentional. Uh, but that is one thing I, that here at Woodland Hills, there's a lot of laughter. Mm. And, um, and so I'm just, I'm just saying, when you do bottom-up work with families, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get people saying, we like to have fun, we like to tease each other, it's a way we show affection for each other, and we want to keep doing that. Well, I will look forward to uh, having some of those workshops. Uh, he's volunteered for it. I appreciate that so much.